0: Same
1: business, different day. Essentially, you build a relationship and then you provide them a service and, and it's uh, you build up a, a trust of each other. And so usually that, that trainer will trust you and your opinion and, mm-hmm. and because you are a good veterinarian and he, that's how you keep your business. I mean, it's all, say everything. You know, a lot of things in this world are sales, yeah. uh, essentially, if you come and think about it. Sure. So you're building relationships, and you do that through personality and no, 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 no.
0: Same business, different day.
2: Good afternoon and welcome back to the Same Business Different Day podcast. First, I want to introduce my ultra-talented co-host, Alyssa Lee Good, the notorious ALG. Wow, you're too kind. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it excited? Uh, exciting to be back for season two? I am incredibly excited. Yeah. Season two,
0: we're going to keep the ball rolling. We're going to have good people coming. Good stories.
2: And even better. Um, wait, first, we want to start off by uh, kind of talking about the general mission of the podcast, mm-hmm. right? I-, I want to kind of just say that The point of this podcast is that we really like to inspire entrepreneurs. We want people who are thinking about getting into business, who have always thought about getting into business, um, to listen to the stories of people who have been successful in business. Listen to their upbringing, the, the roads that they are taking to get to where they are today. A story so great that we can only hope to fit it into one episode. His fabulous work with others isn't limited to people, but we'll get into that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Dr. Hunter, DVM, we want to thank you for your work and can't wait to hear more about it. How are you doing today?
1: Fantastic. Thank you.
2: Great. We're going to start off um, by, we have a little game that we play. We yeah. want to tell, tell you the rules of the game. So uh, Alyssa, you want to tell them?
0: So um, we're here to talk about you, Dr. Hunter, and we're here to talk about your your business. But before we get into it and before we actually reveal what you do for a living, we want to get to know you. Um, so we call it the reveal. We'll wait for that. We'll wait to talk about what you're actually doing with your businesses right now. Talk about your background first and get to know you.
2: Sounds good. All right. Where did you grow up, Dr. Hunter? I
1: grew up in Southern Illinois on a farm. Uh, I have uh, four sisters and fortunately I was the oldest. uh, So I I didn't get spoiled. Okay. (laughs) And uh, uh, we all, my father made sure that we all knew how to work uh, from a very young age. And we had morning chores every morning before school. And of course, after school and uh, in the summer times were super busy. Um, So I learned at a very young age, a a fantastic work ethic, so. And to my detriment or not, that's followed me throughout the rest of my life. Hmm. And I'm uh, 76 years old and still still going strong. That's right.
0: What kind of farm, what kind of chores were you doing?
1: Uh, We had uh, mixed crop farms, uh, corn, soybeans, wheat. Uh, We had cattle. So we had cattle, pigs, sheep. Uh, Fortunately, the sheep didn't last too long. (laughs) (laughs) They seemed like they wanted to die all the time. (laughs) That's not good. uh, (laughs) Well, I was in a 4-H, and my father thought that that would be a good project for me. So we didn't really know anything about sheep, and uh, uh, that that lasted about two years. (laughs) Mm.
2: What What did your parents do for a living? Were Were they farmers for a living?
1: Yes, yes, yes. And then later in my in our life, uh, when my I guess when uh, I was probably twelve or fourteen years old, my father got a job at a, a strip mine. With Peabody Coal Company. And um, he worked on, they had these big excavating shovels, and he worked on one of those. Uh, so, coal work.
2: That's uh, dangerous work, though, isn't it?
1: Well, it's uh, a bit, but probably not much more dangerous than farming. <laughs> okay.
2: Okay. Did, did you uh, grow up aspiring to be a farmer or? or uh... What, what were you trying to study or, or thinking about doing?
1: Well, when I was a kid growing up, I never really had any aspirations to, to be anything in particular so much. I okay. followed along the farming route and uh, was, you know, <laughs> that was what I was exposed to. And that's what I knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, didn't really have a goal as to what I wanted to do when I quote unquote grew up but uh, uh, I did my father did promote into all of us that we would all go to college and and so I planned on going to college and and uh, my father' says well what are you gonna what are you going to major in in college I says well I really don't know <laughs> he says, well, why don't you become a veterinarian hmm. So I thought, well, that sounds like a good idea. So I just uh, went along that course and uh, wound up as a, a equine practitioner and eventually in California. Wow. So, Yeah.
2: I, I mean, I want to talk about the veterinarian work, I, I, but I also want to, I mean, it sounds like your father was really kind of the mentor. Uh, like, were there other mentors in the area or anybody else that you looked up to that that, um, you know, maybe were doing other things and, and you were considering or you ever considered or, or you always wanted to go the path that your dad kind of planned out for you?
1: Not particularly. I My grandfather was a, a good mentor for me. Uh, my father was a bit strict and stern and uh, expected a lot. And uh, my grandfather was more like my mother. Uh, little more forgiving and uh, reasoning and uh, uh, actually very supportive. so uh, he, I say I would say that he was probably the most uh, influential in the way, person in yeah. my life my father.
2: So, um, so
1: where so where did you go to school? I went to school at the University of Illinois. Uh, well, first I went to three years in Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. And then I got into vet school and was there for four years, Champaign-Urbana. And uh, uh, then actually when I, between my second and third year in vet, veterinary college, I, a friend of mine and I, he had a 1963 car And we threw our junk, what we could get into that, and headed off to California for the summer and uh, thought, well, we'll get a nice construction job or something. The only problem was there was two or 300,000 other kids looking for those jobs too. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) eventually we decided that we should give up on that idea and, uh, and uh, look for a job with a veterinarian. Maybe we'd get a job there. (laughs) So we went to some small animal clinics and did some interviews and, and, uh, Eventually wound up working for a fellow that had a racetrack practice in the Bay Area in Northern California. And uh, uh, we wound up working for him on the, on, a, on a ranch in Modesto for the summer. And that's when I got my exposure to racehorses. And after that summer, I knew what I was planning on doing for the rest of my life. Okay.
0: So. so working with racehorses was sort of by happenstance. I, I was curious if, you know, on the veterinary track, if you were thinking about different animals, what animals you wanted to work for, but I knew you had worked with racehorses. So was it, you know, you just, you needed the job. So it happened, or were you considering working with other animals also?
1: Well, growing up on a farm, my father, the idea of a a veterinarian was, was a veterinarian that took care of cattle and, and farm animals. And drove a truck and carried a squeeze chute around behind him in, in the truck. And I knew I didn't want to do that. <laughs> if you've ever been slapped in the face with a cow with an old shitty tail, <laughs> that's not fun. And that I knew I did not want. So I was looking for, I was looking at feedlot management and uh, things like that uh, of interest. and. After that summer, I wasn't looking anymore. I mm. knew what I wanted. So, mm.
0: and what struck you? About- God put
1: you. In, God put you in the right places at the right times. It seems. There to you me. go.
0: What What struck you about the oh. racehorses? What made you think I'm going to stick with this?
1: Well, they're beautiful animals. Um, they have their own unique personalities. Um, they're very. Um, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but uh, they're they're very. They're, it's a challenge, and it's also exciting. With uh, when you go to the racetrack and you at the starting gate and the the gate breaks open and the horses take off, I mean it's an excitement that's that's. Uh, Undescribable, mm-hmm. really, unless you experience mm-hmm. So that's what really got me excited about the racehorses was uh, spending the time at the racetrack itself.
0: We talked a bit before. I, I also have a background in horses and the way I describe it to people um, with my show horse is he was my partner. You know, it, it's right. not just your pet. It's not just an animal that you're training. It's a, a bond and a relationship. There's a lot of trust that goes into it because they're big animals, you know. Um, right. And so he was my partner. He was someone that I worked with and understood on a different level. And that's how we were successful.
1: Right. And uh, it works with him on the other end, end too, because he, you were his friend mm-hmm. and he trusted you. And that's why he would do those phenomenal things for you, because you both trusted each other. Right. And that's what, that's if you own a race or any horse, uh that's what you learn about them Mm -hmm. if you really get involved and they're not just use them as a tool if you really start to understand them uh they have feelings just like you and Mm -hmm. i they build a bond they they trust you or they don't trust you depending on how you treat them and if you build a good relationship they can be loyal and do anything you ask them to do Mm -hmm. willingly wow
0: for a long time horses live a long time. People don't realize. <laughs> I think my uh, ah. my show horse lived to 42. Wow. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so what um can you give us the extent of your work at, at Golden Gate Fields? I mean, you know, I used to live up in Northern California. I've never been to Golden Gate Fields. I've been down here to the Del Mar racetrack, but um can you tell us about uh what you were doing up there?
1: Well, I was in uh, private practice. Uh, there were probably 10 other veterinarians that were in practice. Uh, and we worked for individual trainers. So uh, it, it's a very competitive atmosphere. Uh, you, if you don't like what one veterinarian is telling you, you can flag down another. Oh, you know, really? Because they're, they're there all the time. You don't take the horse to an office or a clinic the veterinarian comes to the barn. So are you selling yourself
2: out there? You're out there trying to sell yourself. You're telling them why they should come with you as opposed to some other veterinarian that's on the
1: premises. Essentially you build a relationship and then you provide them a service and, and it's, uh, you build up a a trust of each other. And so usually that, that trainer will trust you and your opinion and, Mm -hmm. and because you are a good veterinarian and he, that's how you keep your business so it's it's not i mean it's all say every you know a lot of things in this world are sales yeah uh, essentially if you stop and think about it sure so you're, you're building relationships and you do that through personality and and uh and
2: uh knowledge and then other fo- other folks might try to undercut you and 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 so forth you know taking that same approach.
1: Well, it's, yeah, it's not so much undercut in prices. It's just uh, they want to, they try to build another veterinarian, might try to build a, a relationship. And uh, if you mess up and you know, will make, make something happens that doesn't, isn't the trainer's uh, liking, uh, then they try to, they might try to take advantage of that. But yeah. it, every race jack is not, that competitive some are more so than others. But, but Golden Gate uh, Fields it, it was a is big one. Competitive atmosphere.
2: That was a big one though, right? Golden Gate Fields. I mean you were there during the, you know, some of the the great races in the historic
1: times, is that right? Yeah. Golden Golden Gate Fields and Bay meadows those were the two tracks that in Northern California. And and in the 80s why there was that was before uh f- for the lotteries and and uh before organized gambling so the, that was the only place to gamble and people were more interested in it because it was really the only gambling sport legal gambling sport in town so uh uh-huh. so you had crowds uh the grandstands were full on weekends and it was a, a phenomenal time in racing
2: this is just my mind working, but I mean, it, it must have been some devious things going on as well, though, too, right? I mean, in terms of if you got legal gambling here, and and uh, and you know, as the veterinarian or somebody else might come by and want to give a shot to a horse or uh, avoid getting a shot to a horse or something.
1: Well, that, that's one of the things that they do have is testing, and uh, they test all the samples and. And so it's pretty hard to to do anything that's really going to make a, uh, give you that much of a competitive edge. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, think the right answer, I think that was the right answer, Doctor. I think that was the right answer. They test every winter and uh, spot test uh, other other horses, so uh, it keeps people pretty honest.
0: Hi, I'm Jeff Fox, founder of Star Fox Media. We are a digital marketing and video production company that focuses on serving small businesses here in Vista, California. We have the team and all of the equipment necessary to produce, film, edit, and distribute your podcast to as many people as possible. For more information, you can reach out to us via email at info at or give us a call at 760-385-3117. Let StarFox Media help you tell your brand story today.
3: The Vista Chamber of Commerce serves our local business community. We're a catalyst for business growth, providing connections to business prospects, networking opportunities, and relationships in a friendly referral-based environment. We provide access to business resources, information, and training to support the growth and professional development for you and your employees. We're a convener of leaders and influencers, and we provide advocacy representation with elected officials, policymakers, and business leaders at every level of government. We have influence over issues that directly impact your business and facilitate collaborations of business and community leaders to identify and to solve challenges. Lastly, we're a champion for a stronger community and we strive to inspire smart planning decisions for long-term community sustainability. We identify strategic partnerships to benefit the business retention and growth, workforce development, and charitable giving. And we represent a vibrant community by responding to visitor needs, and providing assistance through our office. Check us out online at www.vistachamber.org.
2: North County Daily Star is the leading source for news and community information. There are 650,000 residents along the 78 corridor in five unique cities that share the region North County San Diego. We work and play in these cities, so we are all interested in what happens in our common region. There is no cost to subscribe, and it is continuously updated. So look for us on your mobile device or computer at ncdailystar.com. Got it. Got it.
0: That's a, a high-stakes job, though, I bet, especially for the vet. You, a lot of pressure, a lot weighing on you. You, If you have to make a difficult call and somebody doesn't like what you have to say, how do you handle that?
1: <laughs> well, it's you, you, because you build a relationship with a trainer. And when you tell them something, they by then you've re- they've realized that you're telling them the truth and the best thing for the horse and yeah. the owner and the trainer. You know? yeah. So, so it's a tr- trust, a lot of trust and uh, and and knowledge that that your veterinarian is honest. So yeah, and, and most are.
2: <laughs> How many years did you do that?
1: Uh, forty years actually. Oh
2: man! So, forty yeah. years right out of college?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's like when I graduated from college. I knew I had a job already. I knew where I was going. The guy mm-hmm. that I worked for there uh, offered me a job, and and uh, I was there for forty years. Right.
2: And so then so, after that, did you get into this new business that we haven't revealed yet, or, or um, was there a retirement period or uh, what was happening well, after forty years.
1: Racing in Northern California is not that healthy. Uh in Southern California uh the average purse is between forty-five and fifty thousand a a race. In Northern California it was around twenty, twenty-two, but the expenses are pretty much the same. And so it's much harder to make a living in in under those circumstances. So a lot of trainers were struggling and and I could see it wasn't getting getting any better, so I realized that I needed to make a change. Uh, so I uh, sold my practice and uh, essentially retired from racing. And uh, I had been going to Santa's Valley, in just about Santa Barbara, for uh, since the early '70s, because uh, my cousin lived there. And so I decided well that was a, a good place to to move to so you know I did I,
2: I um I lived in that area uh well I shouldn't say that how how do you say it the right way I was not born there <laughs> but our my family lived there when I was born right so I was actually born mm. in Los Angeles Hollywood Kaiser mm. Hollywood But I was, um, I actually lived in the Santa Barbara County uh, during that time. Uh, That's where my family lived. And so, um, but I still go back and visit and I've always wanted to retire there. Um, So let me, I want to get to the reveal. That's kind of why I cut you off. So um, you, you know, some of you guys might think you've heard the whole story, but you haven't uh, because there's a lifetime of work here. Uh, that would lead most of us into a happy retirement. He's worked with the horses, he's been at the racetrack, he's had a great time, but um, that's not it. Dr. Hunter is back in business and the current business is just as impactful as the earlier endeavors. Dr. Hunter is the founder of Nirvana Hyperbaric Institute, uh, dedicated to to forwarding the science of hyperbaric oxygen therapy established in 2010. So um, I, I want to get back to that, though. Uh, where, why Santa Barbara? Why San Inez? Uh, why Solvang, actually? I think that's where, where your office was located. Is that correct?
1: Yes. <clears throat> I, <clears throat> I love the area. It's a beautiful area. It is. I've been going there since the early 70s, and I've watched it change from a cattle, uh, a, uh, more cattle uh, agrarian uh economy to to now wines wineries and uh that I've watched I was I mean i visited there for a few years uh, or for two or three times every year for several years yeah. and uh, uh I'm a member of the rancheros Visitadores, which is a trail ride group there okay. and uh so I've been I go there every year for a, for a weeks weeks uh kind of uh retreat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Trail ride and stuff like that. So a lot of it's a lot of stuff goes on. And um it's just a beautiful area. So that's why I picked it.
2: We used to camp uh down the street from there uh, almost every year at Lake Cochuma and um you know do wine tasting out there when I got old enough to do that and you know, I I've always said that, you know, I'd like to retire there. And my dad has always told me that you uh you you invite us over. And so, you know, we appreciate that, you know, you're you're welcoming in that way. And and I haven't gotten a chance to get out and see you yet, but uh would love to because your office is still there. Um t- can you tell us about the uh, uh Nirvana Hyperbaric Institute? Well,
1: it's evolved into a facility where we're treating insurance patients and non-insurance patients. Unfortunately, hyperbaric medicine is only covered for insurance with certain or certain conditions. Uh, a few of those non-healing diabetic wounds, uh, radiation injury from cancer therapies, uh, osteomyelitis, bone infections. Um, uh, Carbon monoxide poisoning, things like that, those are covered by insurance. Unfortunately, there are a ton of other things that it works for that aren't covered by insurance, and we also treat those. So um, one of the most one of the most exciting things to me, well, there's two exciting things primarily, but one is treatment for traumatic brain injury and concussions, because while it's not on neurologists radar screen it should be the first option for treatment Uh, if if a patient will treat will do uh, hyperbarics within the first 10 days of a concussion or a brain injury usually it only takes uh, three to four treatments to stop that inflammatory cascade that goes on inside the skull from the injury and if it's gone on longer than that it takes up to 40 or 60 or even 120 treatments, but it will regenerate blood vessels to that tissue and repair even that long-term damage. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of research going on by the Israelis now that are supporting this, and uh, lots of other uh, research has gone on in the past that also supports it. So uh, it'll be the next covered condition for insurance, but i don't know how long that's going to take and it's unfortunate because a lot of people that have a concussion if they they could be stopped right at the very beginning mm-hmm. and instead they have long term complications which can be headaches brain fog uh, all kinds of detrimental things that affect them the rest of their life so we
0: did um that excites me <clears throat> we did a bit of a internet dive um just doing a little bit of research about your institute and finding out more. And we found on your website a quote by you. Um, you said that hyperbaric oxygen therapy is the best kept secret in medicine. And I'm just wondering, why is it a secret? Why it's it seems from my research into it that it, it is a big deal. It's a big thing. Why don't I've never heard of it? Why haven't I heard of it? <laughs>
1: Well, primarily because two reasons. One is that doctors aren't trained about hyperbaric medicine in, in, in medical school. The only exposure they get to it is if they happen to be at a medical school that has a wound care center and they do some some rounds in the wound center and then they get exposed to the hyperbarics. But that's more just an exposure and... Uh, let them know that it does work for wound care. It doesn't, they don't really get into the physiology of hyperbaric medicine uh, and they just don't know how it works uh, because of that. Mm. And uh, secondly is that most conditions aren't covered by insurance. And so hospitals will not treat conditions that are not covered by insurance. And doctors are hesitant to, prescribe something that's not covered by insurance. So
2: now, like you said, it's not taught in med school. How did you make that transition? How did that get to you uh, where where you felt like this is a a passion? This should be a passion of yours.
1: I was familiar with hyperbaric medicine in horses because it had been used for uh, I was exposed to it like 20 years prior to my retirement. And no. uh, in fact, there was a veterinary cl- clinic in San Inez Valley Valley uh, in, in uh, Los Olivos that uh, Alamo Pintado Equine Clinic. And Doug Herthel was uh, the founder of that and the owner. And he was a very progressive fellow. And he had hyperbaric there in, since probably around 2000, uh, probably more than earlier than that, probably like 1990s. And uh, so I was familiar with it there. And uh, actually, when I moved to St. Jose Valley after I retired, um, my cousin was doing hyperbaric medicine for a condition called Lyme's disease. Okay. And so I got exposed to it from the, through that and got interested in it. And one thing led to another. And uh, not knowing any better, I opened up a clinic. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So you didn't really want to retire. No, I didn't want to retire. I I
1: didn't stay busy. <laughs> we know
2: someone I like that. I retired for the race. We do know someone yeah. like that. Yeah, Pops won't retire. Pops we talked to Pops about retiring. And uh I, I don't I don't think that that's something that he's he's interested in at all. I think he's uh he thinks retiring means something else. Let's just put it that way.
1: Well, if you love what you do. Why should you stop doing it? Sure. Hmm. But you stopped
2: doing one thing and you moved into another thing. So you love working is what you love to do.
1: Yeah. I love working. <laughs> I love, I did. <laughs> I did love the, uh, that my father instilled that into me. As right. A boss, yeah. So. You
2: said that at the beginning and mm-hmm. and, and yeah, we get mm-hmm. the picture and, and that's beautiful to have that work ethic. Cause my dad certainly instilled that into me as mm-hmm. well. Um, so, you know, one of the things that you also mentioned though is uh healing wounds. Um and wound care. And I had done some reading on on the hyperbaric chamber and I heard that it's a it's a big thing for burn victims, right? Um and and even yes. uh Michael Jackson who wasn't too far from you, that that was supposedly why he was, you know, in in the chamber so much.
1: Right. Um usually with burns they... If a person gets a burn injury, they're going to be in a a burn unit at a hospital. Mm -hmm. And if they're in a a good burn unit, they'll have hyperbarics there that they can use. Because if a person is seriously burnt, they need other care along with not just hyperbaric medicine. We only provide hyperbaric medicine. Understood. We we wouldn't really be treating uh, burn victims. Um, possibly some chemical burns or something like that that don't require uh, intensive care, but primarily we wouldn't we wouldn't see those patients.
2: But it does ex- at least it accelerates a healing process. Is is what I'm oh, understanding?
1: Very definitely, very definitely. A good wound, a good wo- uh, burn center will have hyperbarics and they use that daily. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He also
2: mentioned, or uh, what I was reading, also mentioned things about like deep sea divers or like people who like just really require oxygen. And actually, even what I saw on your website, it said, it, actually, it was an equation that kind of uh, blew my mind, and 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 I'm not sure I, I'll get it right, but it said oxygen plus pressure equals healing. I think it said oxygen plus pressure equals something. Yes. And what does pressure <laughs> fit into that
1: equation? There you're getting into physiology. Okay. Uh-uh. So, Plastic. and how hyperbarics work. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> well, the way the body works. So let's say you're at you're a mountain climber and you just clound, climbed uh, the highest mountain in the world and you're at 30,000 feet. Mm-hmm. The reason you, the, the amount of oxygen up there is the same as it is at sea level. Same concentration of oxygen. Okay. The difference is the atmospheric pressure Mm -hmm. because at 30,000 feet, you've got 30,000 less uh, feet of pressure above you. So the pressure is a lot less and pressure causes oxygen to dissolve into a liquid. So the liquid is your blood. The pressure is the atmosphere and at sea level, you're breathing, you know, 80 percent oxygen or 82, and and uh, that that uh, dis- causes oxygen to dissolve in the tissue. In hyperbaric medicine, you're increasing the pressure, you're providing them with 100 percent oxygen, and so you get up to a 15 or even more uh, fold increase in oxygen concentration in the body, and that causes some uh, really Uh, interesting healing uh, mechanisms to take place. One is it stimulates the body's own production of stem cells by about eight-fold increase. Uh, Others are, uh, fights infection, reduces inflammation, um, stimulates angiogenesis or new blood vessel growth in the tissue that's oxygen deprived. Pretty phenomenal healing.
2: Yeah, it is. Um, you know it, it, this that kind of reminded me right there that reminded me of why i didn't go into medicine cuz i i i didn't learn very well in class <laughs> <laughs> science was was not my calling was science your calling was 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 it easy in in school for you
1: i wouldn't say it was easy but it was interesting mm-hmm. uh physiology was interesting always and uh and Science is, is, is always interested to me. Yeah, uh,
2: like I said, easy. I would say <laughs> at the beginning, um, you know, of the podcast, you know, we go back to thinking about, you know, what it's all about, and and for people to kind of find their calling and find what business they want to get into. And some people, you know, they want they need to work for others and want to work for others, but some people have ideas of what they want to do, you know, but they just don't know how they're going to facilitate that or make that work for them. Um, and, you know, it's it's awesome that you've been able to find, you know, at least two professions that uh, you've been able to be successful in. And I think that this is a great story mm-hmm. to, you know, to tell those people. Um, you know, one of the thoughts that I was having yesterday as I was, you know, reading a little bit about you, um, you know, for what I do in terms and it's it's not necessarily healing. I got a little back problem, a little little knee or whatever. But, um, you know, other than yoga, um, I, I like to do um, the flotation tanks so the separ- sensory uh, deprivation chambers and stuff. And so when I was looking at the the hyperbaric chamber, I'm thinking, you know, it kind of just kind of put me in that mind frame of being, like, in this enclosed space kind of thing. But uh, I, I'm sure there's a big difference, right, between the sensory deprivation chambers and the, and the hyperbaric chamber.
1: Yes. <clears throat> hyperbaric chamber. a lot of people think it's like going into an MRI mm-hmm. and you can't move and you've got your arms down beside you. And, but that's not the way a hyperbaric chamber works. You're essentially in a bed. Uh, you, if you're not very tall, you can sit up in our chambers because uh, we have the biggest ones, one of the biggest ones on the market. Wow. And uh, it's a comfortable little You watch TV, uh, you know, listen to music, meditate. Uh, sleep (laughs) so it's very user-friendly the thing is it's uh the drawbacks are that it's a daily treatment because the therapy the effects of oxygen are cumulative and uh it's also uh uh it takes an hour and a half to two hours out of your day just for the treatment every day so that can get expensive it can get
2: expensive and time-consuming sure you know, it, you know, it's okay if you decline to answer this, but I think, you know, I actually think I saw something mentioned on or maybe it was I don't know, website or Yelp or something, it mentioned CBD, and when I'm thinking about the the sensory deprivation chambers, I know the owner of the one that I used to go to in San Diego, he was big on, you know, smoking marijuana before he went into uh, his chamber. Does that have anything to, does that compute at all? or you know, correlate at all with what you guys do in terms of the meditation factor of it? Uh
1: not particularly what we offer. Uh, if somebody uh did that on their own, uh then then I you know it wouldn't be detrimental. <laughs> you wouldn't turn them away. Uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> It wouldn't be detrimental, and uh, the fact uh, nicotine uh, smoking is is you know, suggested that you don't smoke for three or four hours before you get in the chamber because of the vasoconstrictive effects that that uh, nicotine has on your on your lungs. on your body. Hmm. Okay, on your lungs and and your heart, your arterial vessels, in your heart. Wow. So, but, uh, there's no chance of, uh, of a heart attack in a chamber because heart attack is when an artery in the heart, uh, becomes occluded and the heart muscles run out of oxygen. Well, within, when you're in the chamber, you're going to have plenty of oxygen. So that's not going to happen. Even if you, even if you, uh, did have an artery that was clogged during the during the session it would happen afterwards but not during okay can we can we clear up that's not going to happen that's not going to happen okay
2: can we clear up the rumor <laughs> uh, there's no rumor i'm just making this up as a joke but dr hunter that uh, that you didn't sell uh, michael jackson his hyperbaric chamber
1: no it didn't <laughs>
2: <laughs> the same business different day podcast is brought to you by yourinsuranceplace.com Yourinsuranceplace.com is a conglomeration of two agencies, Network One Insurance and Bill Corley Insurance Agency. Their property and casualty agents and brokers specialize in commercial insurance of all types, general liability, workers' compensation, professional liability, auto, agribusiness, and much more. They also have great insurance carriers for your homes and autos. How do I know they are that good? Because I'm one of the agents. We believe in ourselves and you will too. Contact us at yourinsuranceplace.com or call us direct at 866-384-0479. That's yourinsuranceplace.com.
3: HomeStart is a San Diego County nonprofit agency that has prevented child abuse and neglect since 1972. Our mission is to assure the
1: safety and resiliency of children by strengthening families and their communities. Those in our care are already some of the most vulnerable residents
3: in any given year. With the added financial and emotional stress caused by the pandemic, San Diegans most at risk for poverty, abuse, unemployment, and homelessness need our services now more than
1: ever. To support our mission and learn more, please visit www.home-start.org. Together, we can work towards all children in San Diego living in a safe, stable, and a
3: nurturing home. (laughs)
0: Um, I'm curious, what's the because this is, how am I starting the sentence? This is not um, a widely used practice at the moment. And so what's the conversation with other medical doctors and how do they feel about it? How are they approaching it? You know, when you are talking to someone else in the field, what's that conversation like?
1: Well, I do that pretty much daily. Uh, Not necessarily daily, but three or four times, two or three times a week. Uh, I'm, I'm out in the field and I'm seeing doctors and primarily uh, oral surgeons, urologists, um, podiatrists for wound care, and just educating them about hyperbaric medicine if they're not familiar with it. And after they, if you build a relationship with them, uh, they'll finally start to listen to you and they'll refer a patient and when they see the results, then we get more patients okay. because it does work. So that's that's the way we do. We educate doctors about uh, about the benefits of hyperic medicine and how it works. Mm. So
0: and it's very much relying on the product. Then you you have to have the proof that it works yes. to
2: yeah. to
1: continue yeah. the business. <laughs> yeah. How does it? Work? For instance, uh, urologists that have radiation cystitis or radiation injury to the bladder, they get, the patient will get blood in the urine and probably, uh, half the time by the 10th treatment, the blood is either stopped or reduced. Hmm. And so that's pretty impressive. So, so after they usually do 30 treatments and then the doctor will see the results. So,
0: okay. uh,
2: do people with uh, auto, autoimmune diseases, such as Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis, do they benefit from this type of treatment as well?
1: Yes, they do. In, in England, there are a series of close to 60 t- centers that are nonprofit centers that are were established to treat MS. And their protocol was to do 20 treatments um, in a row and then do three to four treatments monthly thereafter. And they found that 70% of the patients, it maintained the condition and prevented progression. So so that's pretty impressive. That
2: is very impressive.
1: Some of the patients even improved and uh, some some lesions, spinal lesions, even Repaired themselves. So.
2: Wow! Wow!
0: That's exciting
2: news. Um, I know a lot of folks. Again, I'm talking about alternative uh, therapies, but uh, a lot of folks use cryotherapy. Uh, how does it compare to like a cryotherapy? Uh, um, that's when they get into the real cold atmosphere,
1: right? Yeah, it's. I. I it doesn't really compare. There are two t- entirely different therapies and they work in totally different ways. So I think
2: athletes use that so, a lot, right? The the cryotherapy. Right, they do. Okay. Right. Not as much the hyperbaric.
1: Well, they do use hyperbarics. Okay. Uh I think I think LeBron James uses one quite regularly. <laughs> I think the they first
2: person I ever heard uh using it was uh Terrell Owens, and that was many years ago out in the Bay Area. Yeah. For the Niners. Yeah
1: yeah no they they should use it more especially for some of these injuries that uh like bone injuries because if they did the hyperbarics it would stimulate the healing uh, probably cut it in th- one third
2: and then you don't have yeah. the um the agencies uh being over you like because a lot of those guys wind up with on those steroids right for the healing but instead you could do yeah. a hyperbaric, which is completely legal, correct? Right, right.
1: Um, the, the, the problem with a lot of these athletes is they use these soft chambers. They buy one and they use them and they only go to maybe 1.5 if they're adjusted and they use oxygen concentrators. And so for bone healing, you need to be at, at, Two or to 2.4 atmospheres, breathing 100% oxygen. So they don't get the same benefits. So they don't have a real guideline to compare what they would properly receive if they did the the, be, the best therapy available. Mm. So that's part of the problem with that.
2: Um. That's great. That's great information. I, I've. Um, I, I think I was on Yelp when I saw um, your institute referred to as a gym, are, are, is there other things going on there or it, was I reading something wrong?
1: At, uh, at Nirvana? Yes. Uh, originally we had a, a room for exercise with oxygen. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Our community just didn't support that. So we closed that down, but that's, that's another therapy that, that uh, that helps, especially uh, if, if you're 50 or 45 or 50 or older. Uh, it helps restore some cognitive things and stuff like that. So it's a very effective therapy, but it's not something we offer anymore.
2: Okay, because well, that seems like a great idea. I'm a cyclist. I, I like you know riding, and and it seems oh, yeah. like yeah, pumping oxygen while you're. <laughs> While you're riding, would actually yeah put that back in your blood cells and everything. That would be great. Yeah, it helps
1: reduce the lactic acid in the muscles quicker, Mm -hmm. and it's a very effective therapy. It's a game changer.
0: I I like the name Nirvana. It it makes me think of peace, hard rock. (laughs) (laughs) Can those be in the same sentence? Sure. Um, Where'd you come up with the name? Why'd you name it Nirvana?
1: Uh I listened to a financial advisor on, on a radio ah. some, and and his his comment always was when he opened up our, his show was, "I'm here to help you reach your nirvana." Ah. so I, my idea of the nirvana was a uh, a place of happiness, a place of uh, you know, a place where you wanted to be. And uh, so that's why, that's why the name
0: came.
2: Hmm. That's good. Yeah. I th- when you started off, I listened to, I thought you were going into the hard rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's doctor's hip. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, um, I, well, we understand you have other hobbies though, as well. We were talking earlier about expensive hobbies, and uh, Alyssa was talking about uh, horses being the most expensive hobby. But um, my dad, uh, pops, mentioned to me that uh, you, you got your pilot's license as well. Or, um, y- y- there are other things that you're doing as hobbies to kind of you know keep things going, right? To balance your personal and business. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. I've been very fortunate in my life, and uh, I do a lot of things. I ski sailboats uh fly airplanes and uh i love to travel so those are uh some of my hobbies horses of course still still yeah the the,
0: tra- the 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 trail riding right up north
1: well that and uh we 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 have our own horses still so okay. the, for, to ride that we ride yeah
0: getting up early in the morning to feed them every day <laughs> I know I do that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the whole thing. So
0: um how often do you get into your own um hyperbaric chambers? I
1: mean,
2: you're staying young. What did you say? Seventy six years old?
0: and you're skiing.
2: Yes,
1: sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now some people I'm I'm a hundred, I just I get in the chamber all the time. So <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm forty six. I, I I won't ski now. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, there, there's a, there's another study out there that the Israelis have done, and it's about anti-aging. And they've discovered that the te- if you do hyperbarics, uh, 60 treatments in a row, five days a week, uh, you can increase the length of the telomeres on your chromosomes for, by by uh, about 25%. And telomere length or shortening actually is a measure of of, of aging. And so kind of the gold standard. So this is the first study that's, uh, that's, or the first therapy that's that's able to do that, that's able to lengthen telomeres. And so their protocol was 60 days And, uh, we're setting up our chambers to be able to do that now. And, uh, um, that's, that's going to be my next project personally.
3: Mm.
2: Wow. Uh, We also understand that you've got a, a nonprofit organization, um, something that you've set up as, as well. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Yes. Um, I've actually had a little experience doing that. We set up a nonprofit at the racetrack for to build a equine clinic um, um, in the '80s, and so I was involved in that. And we set up a nonprofit to uh, for to treat um, people that primarily brain injury things, uh, focusing on the military guys, uh, the PTSD. Um, Because most of the PTSD is caused by a traumatic brain injury or blast concussions. And blast concussions cause damage to the the microvasculature or the very small blood vessels in your brain. And that's what causes a lot of the PTSD and uh, the brain fog, the suicides. And this is another thing that should be covered by insurance. Uh, In fact, the VA has been mandated by Congress to do some studies and to provide this therapy. Um, So so right at the moment, they're doing some studies in about four different locations. And uh, trying to get this on board because because it, it is a shame because there's been several hundred people that have been helped. By hyperbaric medicine, that the military guys have had PTSD, uh-huh. and it, it, they all respond, and it's it's a shame that it's not available to to every every one of them, and so that was why that we started our nonprofit uh, to raise money for that purpose. Okay, uh, that's great. So
2: now you've got uh, you just. Am I understanding that? Are are you in North Carolina now? I understand you have
1: another location that you've opened up. I am in North Carolina right at this moment. So, yeah. So I opened opened up another facility here. Um, It's a long story how I got here. Okay. uh, So uh, we've just opened in uh, October. And so I've been out promoting hyperbarics to doctors. It's a little tough now with this COVID because a lot of them don't want to see you. Hmm. So uh, it'll, it'll it'll get
2: there it's just going to take a little longer. I've been wondering too I mean this whole time and, and it's one of the uh obviously it's one of those kind of conversations that we've had to have with many of our guests is the covid effect. Yeah. Like how how is that affecting uh business? How is that affecting you? How is that affecting uh well you've already said how it's affecting the conversations with the medical community.
1: Yeah. In Nirvana and in, in California, our our gross revenue was down probably mm-hmm. thirty percent, just because of the COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, here, it's just delayed our 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 you know our growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but we'll eventually get there. Right.
2: Right is is there anything that you can say about hyperbarics in and covid have, have has there any studies been done there
1: um absolutely uh instead of if when you go on a ventilator 80% of the people die
2: that's what i heard yeah when you do yeah.
1: hyper when you go on a hyperbaric chamber instead of going on the ventilator it's it's like uh i've forgotten the figure but it's between 20 and 40% so the survival rate is uh, about triple.
0: That's huge. What, what
1: it is, it yeah. is huge. Yeah. The problem is, it's not approved for for, for insurance coverage, so th- they don't use it.
2: Is that state to state? There's or only it- a few. There's only a
1: few hospitals that have that have used it.
3: Hmm.
2: And that and that's and, but they've got
1: different normal results.
2: Different states. Uh. Can you go to a different state and they would accept it versus another, or is this just a the board sure. not accept it?
1: I'm not sure. By the time you get that to be to get to that point, you're you're already in intensive care. Sure. so you're not going to be able to go there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So are you uh, the other place, the other place where hyperbarics, I'm sure will work is a big percentage of the people that have recovered from COVID, Wind up with brain issues, yeah. brain fog, memory, having trouble remembering things, um, uh, can't concentrate. If you if they would do hyperbarics, that would they would because that's the same thing that happens with concussion. I mean, sure, this virus sure. causes causes concentration of oxygen in your red blood cells to go down to like really low like like 80%, 80 80 uh, percent saturation and that causes so that causes lack of oxygen to the brain so you're doing brain damage
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then the same symptoms for concussions and traumatic brain injury and hyperbaric works for that I know it would work for for those conditions as well right again not covered by insurance but if you can afford to do it, I would recommend
0: it. Why is that? Why is insurance such a hurdle for this technology?
1: Well, I don't <laughs> think uh, insurance companies want to pay out any more money than they have to.
0: Fair enough. I guess we all, you know that, Mr. Zeke. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't do health insurance, but I
2: do understand how insurance companies work. <laughs> yeah. What do you expect this? Um, the therapy to be in the next ten to twenty years or so.
1: Uh, well, I expect there'll be a lot more. There'll be a lot more of it available. Um, I expect there will be bigger chambers that are multi place where you can treat twenty people at a time. Um, I expect that. Traumatic brain injury will be covered by insurance. Um, as, right, right now, there's uh, the Israelis have, uh, they're able to treat 300 patients a day in their chambers. And they've opened up a new facility in uh, Florida. Uh, they're going to open, open, and they're opening up another one in Dubai. Uh, in the next few months and they're, they're those are 20 or 24 place chambers they're very comfortable like airplane seats and and uh, uh very luxurious they do a lot of they're they're doing brain scans and uh, <clears throat> treating people for any type of brain injuries and also this anti-aging uh therapy that they've Proven. Wow! And so they're going to be opening up these facilities all over the world, and there'll be several of them in this country. Uh, that's that's where in twenty years there'll probably be I don't know fifty of those centers around. My 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 expectation is. Have
2: you studied with the Israelis, or, or, or are you just you just watching them and looking into what they're doing?
1: I follow all their research. Dr. Efrati is a very progressive fellow. They have like uh, probably a dozen different physicians that specialize in hyperbaric medicine. So they're doing all these different studies. Um, they did a they did a study two or three years ago on fibromyalgia and hyperbaric medicine. They did. They've done some on Alzheimer's. They've done some research on uh, traumatic brain injury. Uh, The latest was this uh, anti-aging study they did.
0: Hmm.
1: That's where I see hyperbarics in 20 years. Beautiful.
0: Well, I've got a difficult question for you. Who's the more difficult patient, the horse or the human?
1: (laughs) I'm well, kidding, of course. You that's don't. hard to answer because <laughs> because with the horse, you're not only treating the horse, you're treating the the human that owns the horse. Okay. <laughs> so uh, if it was just the horse, the horse would be more would be the least difficult. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> There's humans in both equations. <laughs> yeah. Um wow. So thinking back to those early years, and we appreciate you being with us, and appreciate you going back to those years. Um, would you teach your older or your younger self anything? Is there anything? Uh, I mean, you've obviously learned great lessons, the work ethic, um, you know how to, you know, manage a successful business. You've you found yourself in the right places at the right times uh, and chosen the right professions. But uh, would you say anything to your younger self? Um, because you know we we've got an audience listening who are basically your younger self.
1: I would say one of the things that that I would fault myself for, and would suggest that that people do is set goals. Beautiful. Um, set goals. Uh, it gives. It, it makes things happen. Um, I would say if you're starting up in a business know the business thoroughly uh, I started out with hyperbar- in hyperbaric medicine and I didn't know the field thoroughly and it took me probably six years to learn it thoroughly so You need to learn the field thoroughly before you get into it. Mm. Know what you're getting into. Love it. I've kind of learned to stay away from partners as much as I can. Okay. Rely on myself more. Okay. You have associates and build uh, relationships. But when it comes to the finance part, uh, I prefer to rely on myself now. I've learned that lesson. Good lesson to teach. Yeah. So I, I think I think setting goals is, is probably the biggest one. Set those goals.
3: Hmm.
1: You have to think about it. Makes you think, makes you plan. Uh, a lot of times I rolled through life and, and just rolled through life. It was great and everything, but, but uh, it could have been better if I had thought about it more and, and set those goals.
2: Love it. Well, we want to thank you. Uh, we want to thank you for your work. Um, you know, your early work and your, your current work, um, obviously, and, uh, hopefully I can get out there and one day meet you up in solving and 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 have a glass of wine as a recurring theme of a glass of wine here in this podcast so i'm i'm comfortable with uh, being out there and and visiting some of my favorite wineries but also thank you for your work you know with um you know the people that you know the the PTSD that you mentioned and, and so forth because all of that's important and and hopefully the medical professionals get behind you and the insurance companies get behind you and um really you know help folks and and what you just said uh, actually that was all impromptu when when it came to the covid talk mm-hmm. but that um that that's a big 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 deal right now um and um we hope that there's some people out there listening to this um, that can help promote that and and, yeah. and help move forward with so. uh, some you know some some real developments because this thing isn't going to stop vaccines or not we, we're you know there's going to be people with different complications and if um something as simple as you know oxygen is the answer it's just getting it from the right place in the right way with the right concentration and the right professionals if that's all it takes then um we need to educate people uh, you know so that we can get there
0: and do the research. That's right. Yeah.
2: That's right. Set goals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alyssa, you want to give them the context?
0: Absolutely. And um, if you'd like to check out the Nirvana Hyperbaric Institute, and I recommend that you do, their website is www.nirvanahbo.com. You can check them out on Facebook at Nirvana HBO and Twitter at Nirvana HBO I-N-S-S-T.
2: Thanks so much, Dr. Hunt, for being with us.
0: Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.
2: It was a pleasure. All right. Have a good day. All right. You too. Now, pops, I said hello. Will do. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to the Same Business, Different Day podcast. Special thanks to Star Fox Media for video production and James Russell for music production. Please like and subscribe to the Same Business, Different Day podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next week for an all-new episode. Same
0: business, different day.